Welcome to the In Common Podcast. This is Stefan Pardolo. This Inside episode is taken from full episode 58 with Anna Katharina Hornig. Anna is the director of the German Development Institute in Bonn, Germany, one of the leading research institutions and think tanks for global development and international cooperation around the world. She is also a professor of global sustainable development at the University of Bonn. She refers to herself as a development and knowledge sociologist with a focus on natural resource governance and sense-making, the social construction of knowledges and realities, as well as cultures of knowledge production and sharing. She is also an advocate of transformative science to advance inter- and transdisciplinary science cooperation. In the clip, we explore Anna's views on social constructivism, how it contrasts with other science perspectives, and how it is useful for understanding challenges at the science policy interface. This is the In Common Podcast. I want to switch a little bit over to, as you mentioned before, as you moved into Bremen and you, you kind of straddled this position between science leadership and strategic development and also supervision and developing research projects, etc. And I know we've also discussed between us, but also your interest in in science cooperation and some of the challenges that there are uh, between different epistemological perspectives, social constructionist views, positivistic views, and some of the challenges with trying to explain this different perspective and looking at the world. But I would say we kind of live in a positivistic science dominated science system. And I think it's particularly interesting from a knowledge sociologist perspective, given that you can, I think, apply the way knowledge is constructed back on the science onto scientific cooperation structures within within the academic system. And I, I'm really interested to hear your experience in trying to navigate that space. Mm, yeah, that's a tough one. But, you know, I mean, knowing that the world is relative doesn't mean that we can't shape it yeah, or that we wouldn't have any leverages and um, um, ways of, of basically um, making a difference. Now, that sounds like a rather sort of abstract statement, but what I mean is, of course, social constructivism... Mm, it can be rather abstract and it often leads, encourages us to first of all understand yeah, the process of constructing reality as well as then deconstructing basically realities by, by understanding how they come into being. Um, and that's not necessarily what um, Someone that, that if a ministry, um, you know, addresses us and asks for advice on a particular shaping of, for instance, you know, a program how to deal with Corona, uh, a coronavirus situation now is interested in, yeah, in uh, deconstructing the whole system. That's not very uh, constructive yeah, in that mm. moment. But in, in my view, it, it, um, it helps. I mean, a sort of constructivist perspective in, in many ways pushes us to understand or take on a rather differentiated approach and perspective on, um, a given situation. Yeah. For instance, now, um, the situation of the healthcare sector in particular countries of Africa, for instance. Yeah. And then, um, try to from there, um, formulate very concrete policy advice that, um, to me, does not stand in a contradiction with uh, social constructivist approaches. Yeah? So, um, 
you mentioned that the science system is dominated by by positivist um, perspectives and I probably used to agree with you there, but I'm no longer so sure. I mean, a purely positivist perspective is something that is even even in the hard natural sciences, so-called hard sciences, yeah, the natural sciences, I would say, is no longer that um, common anymore. No? I mean, um, by now, the, the understanding, if I look at IPCC uh, debates or IPBEST debates, understanding that um, science is always, or that it's always necessary to understand how societally negotiated any kind of um, scientific fact is so meaning that a scientific fact is not just a god-given thing that we measure in in reality but by measuring it we already construct it to men in many ways yeah it makes a difference um our our scientific methods in trying to map and measure the world um of course contribute substantially to how we see that world and how a scientific fact comes into existence is just as relevant as then trying to understand how is a scientific fact then transferred into, for instance, policy making, and um, basically they are societally negotiated in order to to be um, shaping political programs. No, so if you take the example of of the of the climate of climate politics, there, what we observed was that the the IPCC scenarios that were developed with regard to, for instance, sea level change and sea level rise. They were largely they were developed with within the science community as as calculations based on um, climate models. But when they were then transferred to the poli- to the sphere of policy making, they took on suddenly the role of basically future scenarios and also predictions that very immensely then uh, shaped political action. So if you take IP- the IPCC scenario RCP 2.6. It basically says um, if we observe a global warming of, of on average two degrees, then we, we will observe a, a sea level rise around 0.26 to 0.55 meters along 70% of, of the coast globally by 2081 to 2100. So that's, that's of course, um, that's a calculation based on climate models. But once that um, RCP 2.6, this idea of the two, the two degree limit basically moved into the sphere of poli- policy making. It took on its sort of own, own life no? and uh, took on, um, became moved from a calculation to a prediction and nearly also an, an aim to a political goal to remain below the two degrees. No? Mm-hmm. Um, which, which of course is then something very different because it, it guided then action towards remaining or trying to um, stay underneath these two degrees rather than potentially even trying to, to stick to, to no warming at all yeah? or trying to achieve no warming at all, which is of course not possible. How can we kind of interpret the science cooperation and the science system through a knowledge and knowledge sociology lens? And I think one concrete example that you and I have worked together on is this idea of path dependencies, which can substantially influence how knowledge is produced, why it's produced, where it's produced, 
and the continuing cycle of reproduction of knowledge, which occurs in certain places, on certain areas, on certain topics, and the, the, the difficulty with actually breaking those cycles. Maybe, first of all, it's also important to mention that um, if, if we think about knowledge systems and how they differ globally, we, on the one side, of course, think of scientific knowledge systems no? or sort of the sciences as, as one knowledge system or as, as one type of many knowledge systems, I should say. But then, of course, there are many, many other forms of everyday knowledge systems, no? so religious knowledge systems or um, um, defined through and around ethnicities, for instance, or around gender. No? So there are many different uh, knowledge systems to look at. But if you now just for a moment um, think about the diversity of, of the global science system, then, of course, first of all, it's important to always keep in mind the massive um, differences in their funding structure. And that's relevant because um, what we observe is that, um, for instance, in the, the German science system uh, usually receives sort of around 3.5% of um, the GDP um, annually of the German GDP. We might often be a bit um, below the 3.5% aim, but um, nearly reach it. And um, then we have other science systems, for instance, within the African uh, context where the, the financing looks very, very different. So we have, for instance, the um, if one just briefly looks at the numbers, um, we have a situation where the Tanzanian um, science system receives around 0.51% of the Tanzanian GDP or the, um, the Kenyan around 0.79% or the Namibian around 0.882. No, so basically the, these differences in the funding system, in the funding make um, or, or lead to the fact that um, global science agendas are actually set by very few um, science systems. And um, and that also means that if we, in, within the development context or development research context, if we are interested in um, jointly with uh, partners um, from Africa, Asia, uh, develop innovations or approaches that would make sense locally in their societal contexts. But because of the funding imbalances, the agendas are largely set from basically outside the context where they are supposed to be applied in. That, of course, creates um, a situation where it's very likely that in the end the research does not fit the context that it's supposed to 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 facilitate change in yeah? and if we and these are just the numbers of of sort of gdp differences and differences in the financing but of course the differences in the financing also then communicate other differences no? um, differences in the degree of disciplinary organization in which themes research themes are valued to which degree in a particular um, nationally defined science system or to what degree basic research is valued just as much as applied research, etc. And it, the, le the lesser self-financed the system is, the more likely or the, the higher generally the dependence of, of researchers within that system of international funds. Um, so the embedding into or the financing of um, the research then comes through the international donor community, and um, that is usually very applied-oriented. 
And there, of course, we then usually can observe a tendency that the agenda for these research processes and research projects are set basically from outside or, or yes, in dialogue with, with another, but um, no longer just by the local community and uh, the local science system. And that creates past dependencies over centuries. It, we know if you look at the European or the North American science system, we know that since their development sort of from Enlightenment period onwards, they have acted as immense engines of linear growth and of what development in the good and in the bad. No? They have uh, led to substantial economic growth, but with this they have also brought us to to the planetary boundaries or in, in, into the vicinity of the planetary boundaries. So it means we need to rethink these science systems that they can contribute and act as engines of circular wealth creation. But that will only be possible, in, in my view, if we do that as um, on a global level. Yeah. Because many of the universal challenges that we are now facing, climate change, natural resource degradation, demographic change, globalization versus regionalization processes, they are all universal challenges that we won't be able to solve by or through just a um, few science systems, but um, only in close interaction between trans-regionally quite differently located science systems. Mm-hmm. Now that always can bring in then the local particular context, regional context, but also cultural, political contexts that mm-hmm. are important in order to assure that the research that takes place can actually then fit these contexts and make a difference in these contexts. Thanks for tuning in. The In Common Podcast is produced by Michael Cox, Courtney Hammond-Wagner, and myself. We are a partner project of the International Association for the Study of the Commons and the International Journal of the Commons. To listen to more episodes, you can find us on any podcast app or listen on our website, www.incommonpodcast.org. On our website, you will find our link to our blog and our Patreon page where you can make a small donation to help us cover our operating costs. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at InCommonPod.org.